0: Are you ready? Can't crush us, it don't really get no better than just the podcast that you looking for. If you really happy in the wrestling Hosted by the mark Energy that's so amazing, gotta keep it entertaining, rep the can crush a nation. Yeah, you know what's going down in the ring, lights out when you hit a ding 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 Knock them out like boom, bada bing, Hold it down, you can crown me the king. Gotta shout out to the Miz and Duke the dumpster. We choke slamming everybody power driving, hit them with a face buster. Yeah, yeah, this to show you needin' yeah. and it ain't no need for waiting waitin'. Mark, hold it down for the yeah. can crushin' nation. All about yeah. wrestling yeah. and keep it entertaining. entertaining Can crushers wrestling podcast. Time to break 'em. Let's break em. go. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Can crushers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can crushers. Let's go. Welcome back to another Can Crushers Wrestling Spotlight. I am your host, Mark the Mark Martinez. And it is time for a spotlight to go way back. And this one way back is my childhood. I'm really excited to talk to the man that is on the line right now. Holy moly, this is going to bring me back. The Midnight Express, Flair, Steamboat, the Steiners. And I hope we talk about all of them. I hope he gives us more names to go in because this this is gonna bring me back this is gonna bring back the tbs wwf superstars yes it, it is awesome he wrestled in the era of 81 to 96 he might have had a match or two after that but those are his big moments the power of the punch the cooker bob cook oh, I'm so stoked to have him on the line but of course, you know we have to tell you about everything else here first. Guys, check out collar and elbow wrestling, the shirts, you know, all that stuff. Head over there, check out some of the new merch that they have out. Use the promo code CANCrushers. All one word, Capital C and CAN, Capital C and Crushers. You'll save 10%. Don't forget to check out our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. All of it's at CanCrusher69. Send us an email, tell us how we're doing. Uh, ask us a question, we'll answer it on air, have us book somebody, all of that. It's all cancrusher69 at gmail.com. Head over to our website, which is all linked to our socials as well. We have merch up there as well. Get a cool shirt from Cancrushers. Do all that stuff. And don't forget to like, subscribe, rate us, review us on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play and Stitcher and all those podcasting host sites that are out there yeah that takes care of the business because the business is out of the way i'm excited for this you're gonna hear al snow talk about caller now ball we come back the cooker's on the line and i'm ready to dig in to everything he wants to talk about because i'm so excited for this interview wrestling
1: a love and a passion we all share is the drive. I am Al Snow, and this is Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand.
0: Welcome back to Can Crushers Wrestling Podcast. Guys, I told you, this is an interview for me this week. This is somebody I watched in the childhood, and I saw against Flair, against Pillman, against the Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express, it is the man with the best punch in professional wrestling, the cooker, Bob Cook. Bob, welcome to Can Crushers tonight. Uh, Thanks for spending a couple minutes prior to the interview, making me laugh, because I just woke up and I'm feeling like a bag of shit today, so...
1: Well, I appreciate you having me on the show. I appreciate you asking, and I'll see you later. Okay. Oh, wait, we're not done yet. Okay.
0: Yeah. If you want to be, I, I know you're you're a big video gamer, and we'll start there. That you you uh, you want to go play some games right now, or what's up?
1: Well, I'm not a big video gamer, but I found a game that I've really enjoyed, and I've become a big video gamer for that game. Although I do want to get the new WWE 2K22 game.
0: I have it. I have it pre-ordered already. And it's waiting on the PlayStation, so I bought, I bought with some of the uh, podcast money, so people can throw snide at me there. The Super Edition Super Duper hundred and twenty dollar one. I get it on Sunday, so I'm pretty pumped about that.
1: Yeah, that's the one I want with the NWO. Oh,
0: can't go wrong with Hollywood Hulk Hogan. <laughs> no, you cannot. You cannot. But what game? What game are you playing? It's a game
1: called Trials Rising. It's, a, it's like a motorcycle game.
0: Okay. I've heard for of it. I've can, been tra- I haven't played it.
1: I bought it like several years ago based on the fact that you create your own tracks for it. And I'm a big evil Knievel fan, so I've gone back and created. And when I first got it years ago, I couldn't figure out the created track thing, so I just gave up. But then for some reason a few months ago, I started twinkering with it. Tinkering? Is that the word? Tinker? tinker. I don't know. Either way. I think it of somebody else, right? But anyways, I started playing and I figured it out. Now I've gone back and created a lot of Evil's famous jumps down to a T, you know, where they, I put his trucks in there. I put his rocket in there. I put all these things that I've been able to create just through pieces of the game. It's not an Evil Knievel game, nothing to do with Evil. But I've gone in and put his outfits on my character, made his motorcycles, his helmets and created the scenes like they were in the 70s. Right now I'm even creating Robbie Knievel's Building to Building Jump where I've created the entire city of Las Vegas. It's pretty fun. Boring to anybody who's listening, but I love it.
0: No, that, that actually sounds really cool. I know you dabbled with YouTube here and there. Um, why, why don't you like stream your, your content? Put it, there's If you're going to say it's boring, I'll say that there's maybe idiots like me that want to watch this. Like, I don't have the time or patience to do shit like that, but I love watching the outcome of it then.
1: Oh, it's tedious as could be. I mean, I spent literally five hours last night trying to figure out how to create the illusion of Robbie crashing through bales of hay at the end of the building, building jump. But I figured it out, and I spent five hours more trying to figure out how to make the pyro go off when he landed, and I figured that out, too. I'm a genius. Not really, but we can pretend for tonight. We,
0: we can pretend for as long as this episode's out there, right? but it's turning out great to me as
1: I just find enjoyment and I'm a depressed person anyways, but it keeps me, it keeps my mind off of other things like, I don't know, nuclear war and fun things like that.
0: That I was going to bring that around too. that. Well, not the nuclear war part, but how it just keeps you busy, right? Yeah, it does. And
1: I, I, I really enjoy it. I mean, I'll spend hours just doing the simplest thing. I try to, and I try to make everything so perfect. you have to get things, that I don't want even want a little space in between something that shouldn't have a little space. It's, it's almost obsessive, or it is obsessive, I guess.
0: It, you told me prior to the, me hitting the record button that you, you played for 24 straight hours one time. Yep. What were you doing for, I, I, besides playing, That that's going to be a PC answer, what part of the jump or whatever were you doing for that 24 straight hours?
1: Well, it's not, it's, I, I say playing the game because it's on and you're in the, you're, you know, I guess playing the game. But it's most of the time I'm spending creating the scenes, creating the jumps, you know, putting everything in place because you got to build the ramps, you know, build the scenes, build the, whatever you're trying to create. Right. You have to create it step by step. And you have to go in and they have all these parts that you can use that have nothing to do with Evil Knievel. And I just turned them into evil can evil you know the simplest little part that you wouldn't think you know, had anything to do with evil can create the entire scene you know it's crazy
0: that's that's awesome i mean
1: i totally built his truck that he used to tour around the country in big red
0: they called it big red it's in the game
1: and i mean it's just in my opinion fantastic and other evil fans i post on evil groups and stuff they love it too
0: well that's i was going to bring that up too that uh you're a huge Evil Knievel fan. You knew him pretty much personally, too, right?
1: Yeah, I was a friend of his the last ten years of his life.
0: How did that connection come up? We'll get to wrestling, but this is more this is more engulfing to me right now than anything else. And I said this is going to be an interview for me, so f everybody else. Uh, how did you guys meet and in, in all that? Well, it all
1: started because of the internet. You know, I was an Evil fan since I was five years old. I started uh, learning about him. Back in 1968, after he jumped the fountains at Caesar's Palace, it became a national news. And, and from that point on, I was just a huge fan. And my grandmother used to send me all the newspaper clippings because he was doing something every week in the 60s and 70s. Still have all that stuff. And I've just been a huge fan, had all the toys as a kid, and of all the people who ever walked the earth. And that includes Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen. I wanted to meet Evil Knievel. Like if they said, hey, Bob, Jesus is across the street, he wants to talk to you about that match with Flair. And I say, "Oh, really?" And he goes, "But evil can over there. He wants to talk to you about anything." I go, "Well, I'm going to go talk to evil." That's how serious it was, you know. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, "Jesus will bless you with forever life." But yeah, but but evil's evil. So
0: you can go have anyways, a hot dog with evil can though. Right. Take an hot but, dog.
1: Uh, I started getting into the internet around 1996, 97, through this uh, device called Web TV. You know, computers yeah. were pretty expensive in the 90s, and they came out. Mike, I think it was Microsoft made it came out with this little device called web tv you could hook it to your television and surf the internet my dad had and that then, right and then they they went what really opened up the internet obviously was when they went from charging by the hour to giving you that flat monthly fee and everybody jumped on board and that was just an inexpensive way to get on the internet and the first thing i did this is a long version by the way of why you asked but <laughs> that's okay uh i just went on the internet and i just went eh, i'll type in evil knievel see if he's you know what's going on there? And he had a a website and a fan club that I knew nothing about because it was the internet. And I didn't know nothing about the internet. And the fan club had a a number, which was to Clearwater, Florida. And it turned out that evil lived in Clearwater in, uh, in uh, wintertime. And which I knew originally just through knowing about a lot about him. But there was, I called the number, a guy named Mike Gray answered. And I just asked, I said, Hey, I'm a big fan of evil's. Does he ever meet his fans? And Mike goes, yeah, evil loves to meet his fans. And they had this huge collection and all that. And he goes, oh, bring up pictures. He would love to see it. And he set up the meeting. And I went and met him at a golf course in Clearwater, Feather Sound, it was called. And this is this, I went with a friend, right? Because I was nervous. You know, this is my idol, someone I put on a pedestal my whole life. And you get to the golf course, and I see he comes up in his golf cart and he's over by his SUV, which I didn't really know much about SUVs back then either. Wow. (laughs) But, you know, you just weren't aware of these things. In 1997, I think. And I went over there. Yeah, Mr. Knievel, my name is Bob Cook. Mike Gray, uh, you know, set up the meeting. He goes, oh, hey, Bob, nice to meet you. He shook my hand. He goes, I got to go in here and collect some debts because Eva was a a, a golf hustler and a gambler and he won some money. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, hey, go down to the end of the road to this bar and I'll be there in a few minutes. Right. So about an hour goes by. My friend and I are sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, my God this guy I've put on a pedestal my whole life blew me off. You know, that's what I was thinking. And then he walks in the bar, he waves us over and he sat there and he talked to us for over three hours, buying us drinks, signing a business card, telling us stories. It was the greatest day of my life. You know, at that point I'm going, you yeah, know, my kid was born in 88, but this is freaking evil. evil damn! And this is the greatest day. Of my." Anyway.
0: Yes. I love that story. I do.
1: Yeah. That- and, and as we were talking, we, uh, I had mentioned to him, yeah, I heard Vince McMahon helped promote the Canyon Jump. And he went on to talk about Vince and wrestling. And, and when the Canyon Jump got brought up, uh, I, I asked him where he kept the SkyCycle X2, which was a rocket he used for that jump. He goes, oh, I keep it right here in Clearwater at a friend's warehouse. He says, next time you're up this way, I'll take you by and see it, which is what cemented my ongoing friendship. Because at that time, I worked for an airport limo service. So I was going to Tampa all the time. And he gave me his business card, and he goes, call me anytime you're coming up this way, and I'll take you by and see it's So literally, I don't know how long it was after. Not long, trust me. Maybe a couple of days, I called him. <laughs> I was going to say, like, For two or three, three days? Time. Right, because I'm going up that way, and he goes, but the funny part is that I called him, and, Mr. Knievel, Bob. Go, Bob, call me call me evil, damn it. <laughs> and his real name is Bob, too, by the way, or Robert. But
0: Oh, I anyways, did not know that.
1: Yeah, Robert Craig Knievel. Okay. But he liked being called evil because that's who he was. I would and we anyways, are called so,
0: evil evil that you have to be called just evil His friends. Yeah. I would want to be just called evil as well.
1: Right. I know a lot of people like his wives and different things. They would call him Bob, but I like calling him evil. Bob, call me evil. And anytime he would call me, he'd leave a message on my machine. If I wasn't there or go Bob's evil, call me. But anyways, that's awesome. so I went up there and he took, you know, I brought my wife and children with me this time. And, and that was another thing. We met at the same golf course and he had this awesome austin martin car it's like a freaking james bond car it had all these little gadgets in it and just a fantastic car and he goes bob you can ride with me right to go to the warehouse and i said oh man there's no way no way my wife could follow him you know she didn't know the area or anything i was like ah you know my wife wouldn't be able to follow go, okay follow me so i'm following evil could he phone Through, he's driving like a maniac it's amazing i even was able to keep up with him but anyways we got there and he showed us the rocky, let my kids sit in. that's eh, a the long story, but that's how the friendship started was because, uh, you know, he gave me his number, told him to call, and then just went from there. That's... He even came to my house
0: in 2001. It, uh, w- one of the best friendships of your life, then, having your, uh, air quotes, God, uh, as, as your friend, your you, the person that you put on the, on the pedestal, like that's the best thing that you've ever had in your life. It's
1: certainly, I mean, yeah, in, in, you know, in that way, I guess, yeah, it's certainly one of my greatest accomplishments, you know, because yeah. I always wanted to figure out a way to meet him. And I would have my wife, like, there used to be a show on. Uh, I'm just using this show as an example, there's been others, but I think it was called Jenny Jones. Yes. And at the end of the shows, they would say, if you have shows idea, show ideas, call this number. And I always tell my wife, call that number and tell them uh, to do a show about fans wanting to meet their heroes, you know, just anything I could do to set up a meeting with evil. And then I just got lucky, and all the stars aligned, and now the Russians are going to nuke us to death. But who cares? I made evil, you and I'll evil. see him soon.
0: Yeah. Stop it. Um, you also talked about—I'm going to rewind real quick. You, you want to get the WWE uh, 2K game. Well, why? Why? Uh, no disrespect I'm, I want to get it because I want to play I want to download more characters that aren't in the WWE Back in the WWE Have my own GM type of deal thing and everything But what's your what's your scheme or passion to get the new game? Well, I've, just, I've always got them I like playing them
1: My thing is I'll buy it Play it for like 20 minutes and go Well, uh, I'm going back to my evil game Because I get bored easy But if, if the game sucks Obviously I'm going to be bored even quicker yeah. This game looks better than obviously the last game, but I think anything would be better than that probably.
0: Yeah. That, that's for Even sure. Though I didn't
1: think 2020 was that bad. It wasn't as bad as people said. I didn't have a lot of glitches, but then again, I didn't play it as much as most people, but I like to create characters. I always like to create Terry Funk and certain people that, you know, were my favorites.
0: Yes. And that's what we're, let's transition into wrestling now a little bit. How, first and foremost, How did you discover wrestling? Who was the one that said, hey, little cooker, you got to watch this because you're going to be a wrestler one day in your life?
1: Well, I moved to Florida in 1975 from Michigan after my father had open heart surgery and they advised me to get out of the cold climate. Unfortunately, he listened and regretted it the rest of his life. But anyways, I met a kid down here in Florida called Dale Dibler, who's still alive. I'm friends with him on Facebook. I haven't seen him in 40 years, but, you know, Facebook, friend. But we were playing basketball one night, and it was uh, around 7 o'clock, and he's like, hey, man, i got to go home. And I went, what do you got to go home for? It's light out. And he goes, well, I'm going to go home and watch wrestling. I was like 12 years old, and I was like, wrestling? What do you want to watch that for? And you know, I didn't really understand anything about it. And I went with him to his house, and I watched it, and I fell in love with it instantly. Championship wrestling from Florida. Gordon solely calling the action. Terry Funk was going crazy, and I was hooked.
0: That that those are your first two memories, right there.
1: Yeah, I never missed uh, the show again. So every Saturday night, six o'clock, Sundays at noon, they would play the show again. I watched it then. Saturday mornings or Saturday afternoons at two from Fort Myers Channel, I watched the same show again. This, <laughs> and then when you got a VCR,
0: well, that all bets are off, right. You just had to rewatch them, just rewatch them, rewatch them, rewatch them. So, how do you get in? We're going to keep all this short because I know you have a ton of other stories. How do you get into wrestling then? When when is does the the love become a passion to say, "F this, I'm signing up." Well, I wanted
1: to be a wrestler since I started watching. I was like, man, I'd like to do that someday. I Had no idea, obviously, how to do it. I checked the internet, but it wasn't there then. It kind was of, kind of crazy, no. But um, and there was only like three TV channels, I think, maybe maybe five. <laughs> If you count PBS,
0: you might have had five. Yeah,
1: but uh, no. All of a sudden, lost my train of thought. Yeah, we used to do that backyard wrestling. A friend of mine, who I'm still friends with, haven't seen him in years, but kind of Mark Starkey. We used to do friend uh, the backyard wrestling for our neighborhood friends, and you know, put on a show. And but I always wanted to be a wrestler, obviously. And a friend and I moved to Tampa after I graduated from high school in 1981. He was going to go to electronic school, which he did briefly. And my idea was to become a wrestler, having no idea how to do it. But knowing the championship wrestling from Florida, taped their uh, Saturday morning or Saturday TV shows. And Wednesday mornings in Tampa at this place called the Sportatorium, which sounds fancy, but it wasn't. Anyways, I went there one Saturday morning to do the taping and asked an old, oh, are you still there? No.
0: Yeah, I'm here. Oh. I'm here. Oh. oh yeah, I'm so. Okay. I, I'm just. I'm engulfed in your story because I want to say I, I went to the Omni one time in Atlanta, and I we were on our way to Fort Myers in '88, and I got my mom and dad and my brother to stop for a taping, and I was expecting this grander, this grand thing, and I know it was. It looked shitty on TV, but I'm I, 11 years old. We stopped in for a taping. And there's it's in a closet with like four seats and I'm like, This isn't what I see on T V. This isn't what I picture. You know? Where TBS What is it uh, Techwood
1: Drive in yeah. Georgia or Atlanta? Yeah.
0: Yeah, a little T V studio. Yeah, I've been there before. You you have? I'm shocked. No. You you definitely have. You've been on some of the shows. I I
1: lost too, amazingly.
0: You lost a few times in your career. But
1: I always like to tell people, you know what? I never really lost, and I never really won, and no one else has either. So suck on
0: that. Well, I'm going to transition into something, and that actually makes perfect sense because we're going to talk about TV. Al Snow, uh, who's a good friend of mine, and you've met a couple times, and we'll talk about that. He said just to be on TV is a win that doesn't matter, essentially. I'm paraphrasing. Because look at all the shitty things he's done to be on. But you remember him. Remember him as this. Remember him as that. He fought uh, in a dog kennel match where him and Big Boss Man watched dogs humped outside the ring the same time that they were fighting. They were on TV. They were making money. Was that kind of the same thing with you? You would. You, I, I hate a few words. I hate jobber. I hate enhancement talent. I hate. You're, I, I just figure you're as a wrestler.
1: That's exactly how I always say. I hate those words, too. I prefer the word professional wrestler because that's what I considered myself because I did the wrestling, and I got paid for it. Not a lot of money, but, you know.
0: You got paid for it. I
1: missed the point of putting over my trainer because when I, like I said, moved to Tampa, went to the sportatorium, asked somebody there how to be a wrestler, and they told me to get in good shape and come in for a trial. But back in those days meant that they would stretch you, beat you up. Like Hulk Hogan says, Hero Matt Suda did. And I never went but went back there. I didn't know that that would happen. But the week after, that, I went to the Armory in Tampa, which is where they had wrestling every Tuesday night for like 40 years. And when I came out, there was a flyer on my car for the Great Malenko Wrestling School. Become a star, travel the world, make big money, boom. And I went to the school the next week started start training. Just wanted to make sure I got in there
0: to put over the Great Malenko. I oh, was like a father figure, a friend, a mentor we were going to talk about the great Malenko because I, I know a few people and I've actually talked to a few people that were also trained by the great Malenko as well. Uh, Barry, a lot of us. Barry Horowitz was on the show about two years ago. And then most recently we had the mass saint, Chris Whaley on the show as well, trained by uh, the the great Malenko. Um,
1: I know both of them and I have I even have a Barry Horowitz story.
0: Th- let's go with the Barry Horowitz story then right now. Well, it's not a great
1: story, but it was at the time. It was more scary than anything. But Barry and I were—we both worked for Championship Wrestling from Florida. It was '86, '87, I don't know—and we were riding together to, I think, Key West. And I had an old Ford Escort. It wasn't old then, obviously, but you know, I just say an old Ford Escort. But we were coming back from the show. We pull into a gas station. It's like, you know, one, two in the morning, and try to stop the car. It wouldn't start. Something inside the engine that burned up the wires, whatever. So we call a tow truck. These two tow truck drivers show up. It's one of those tow trucks. I think it was a flatbed, whatever. But we get in the front, and Barry says, Don't tell them we're we're wrestlers. I think we have money. Okay, okay. So we're getting, you know, like there's two guys. We're all four crammed in the front seat of this truck. And they're, and actually, what those guys were besides this tow truck drivers, they were repo men. So they're telling us, start telling us stories about. Repoing cars, and but they're getting more and more like uh, exaggerated and more animated and more crazy. I'd say. And Barry leans over and he goes, and they—this was the kicker—they had a gun on the dashboard. Of course they did. And Barry leans, Barry leans over, and go. They're losing respect for us. We better tell them a wrestler. <laughs> so, so they uh, they start. Then Barry like piped up and mentioned about the wrestler or whatever, and they started to calm down a little bit. But that's like the gist of the story. They took us where they were supposed to go, and we went on our way. But it was, you know, one of those scary moments at the, you know, because these guys were getting crazy, and they had a gun.
0: Did they have you guys sitting in the middle of, like, both of them were on the doors, and you and Barry were no, no sitting no. bitch? No, no, I was fighting.
1: Okay. No, no, it was like the driver of the other guy, the Barry, then me.
0: Okay, I was gonna say because that would really been awkward then. You know, there's the gun. You two are sitting, bitch, essentially, and they're ready to take you for the the twenty dollars in the hot dog that you brought from the the wrestling show.
1: Yeah, they're they're ready. We actually we're thinking we're thinking.
0: You ever seen the movie
1: Deliverance? Uh, yes. I'm getting a little
0: nervous here. Yeah. <laughs> um. So let's talk about you know the 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 Saint as well. A- anything with him? Any you know time in the ring he's a little bit before your time though right
1: no he's, i think he, either this around the same time or after but no he's a great guy he come. we have we do these things every three months in tampa with brian 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 blair's the host uh legends lunches yep. and chris comes to a lot of those we honored barry last year one of them uh, it's a good time
0: yeah those like you're reading my my notes uh perfectly B. Brian Blair and Jumpin' Jim Brunzel both on the show as well. We talked a lot about the Cauliflower Alley Club. We signed up. We're huge supporters of that. We are going to give you time to talk about that and your luncheons at the end of the show. But I think okay. you should talk about it now because it is what the Cauliflower Alley Club does and the luncheons essentially as well um, needs to be talked about more for professional wrestlers because – the, there's no insurance. There's we we talked about this in depth with B. Brian Blair. Um, it, it, it's the thing. If you're a wrestling fan and you want to give back to wrestlers, support the California Rally Club, right?
1: Oh, I've always said that, and I'm the social media coordinator for the California Club. By the way, no, I, not I'm not that. a good one. I'm not a good one, but you know, I do that. But I say that every wrestling school in the country, and there's a heck of a lot more than there should be, but every wrestling school, it should be a prerequisite. Is that a word? Yes. To join the Cali for Like, when they sit there and tell you, like, first, when I trained with Michael, the first thing he says, you guys got to get boots, got to get trunks, and gave us information on how to do it. And I was excited. I'm like, wait a minute now. I'm a nobody. My name is Bob Cook. I'll always be a nobody. But I'll be damned if I'm not going to get some pro wrestling boots. I mean, as a kid, that would be like – I want a real wrestling. My grandmother used to make masks for me. Nowhere near like the real ones, but as a kid, you're like, oh, this is awesome. But I always wanted a real wrestling mask. So you want real wrestling. Nowadays, you get your gear at Goodwill or Walmart. But in those days, pro wrestling boots meant something. So when you're at a wrestling school, it says that you need wrestling boots in addition to that, but you also need to join the Cali Fralley Club. That's what it should be. a. I agree. You should make them now. Obviously, you can't make people do things, but you should encourage them, explain it to them. And if they have a heart or, or half a brain, they'll realize, well, you know, $30 a year is not much, or I'll be a lifetime member for 300 or whatever. You should join. And people should also understand that fans can join. It's not just for wrestlers. It's for wrestlers from the standpoint of who benefits from the money that comes in when they need it. But fans can join. And any real fan of wrestling should give, you know, join the club because it gives back to the wrestlers
0: it it does uh you guys have helped numerous people uh the the newsletter that I get it it, it just rolls out the names that has been helped and it tells about the luncheons and stuff and everything so that was kind of a little bit to have that I knew you were part of it I didn't know you were the social the unsocial media coordinator apparently huh right
1: yeah well i mean i i I have like spurts struggle I'll post a bunch of stuff and I'll get bored or not bored but Lazy and well, that's more like it. Lazy, that's all right. That's because well, I, you know I like rem- I remember birthdays when I can and people who you know, famous wrestlers who passed away. There's some people like if I died or something I wouldn't post it because well I'd be dead. That's why. But you know the point is that when I'm motivated I'll post more than other times. But
0: do you have somebody in the hopper in, in case you die that it they will post no. your death at least? No, no. Well, then no. well, it's folded then. Well, if I
1: die, uh, it'll probably be at my own hand. So I'll just make a big deal about it on Facebook first.
0: Stop. This it. was my
1: final post, and then like tell a story, and they go kiss my ass, mug.
0: <laughs> so you talk about how boots mean a lot to you, and your fair pair wrestling boots. Do you still have them? And tell me the story about them. I know this, but some others might not.
1: Yeah, I still have all my boots, but I remember Malenko would. He, he said. Uh, don't get patent leather. Get this regular leather, which was my first pair. But I liked, I like patent leather, and so later, later I got a, you know, several pairs of patent leather just because they're nice and shiny, you
0: know. <laughs> but you also, uh, you had a affliction, maybe or a, a something with Terry Funk boots.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I call them Terry Funk boots. They're a, they're a boot that looks kind of like, not look kind of like, but they look they're a cowboy boot, but they have. The bottoms look like tennis shoes, you know, like laces. And I call them Terry Funk boots because he's the first person I ever saw wear them. 1986, first time I ever met Terry. He comes into the Sportatorium for TV on Wednesday morning in Tampa for Championship Wrestling in Florida, and he's wearing those boots. He also had an earring in his ear, and I went, damn, that's really cool. Guess what I did when I went home? You put a pin through your ear. And no, Well, I didn't go that far. I went to the mall and got an earring. Oh, okay. At least earring. somebody else did it.
0: I Well, I figured right. you were just that gun ho that, boom, you're just going to do it yourself with ice and a pin.
1: No, no. I, I did it myself. I, did, I went and had it done. But okay. I still wear an earring today because, hey, Terry Funk wore it. You know, Why the hell not? He, he looked cool. But I don't, but I still wear it. Anyways, um, but those, those are the boots. They're made by a company called Tony Llama, which is famous for cowboy boots. And they started making them in, like, 84, I think, and they quit making them by the end of the decade. then they re-released them towards the end of the 90s, but they were a different style, but still cool. But anyways, Terry Funk gave me a pair in in 1986. But again, so I've always called them Terry Funk. which anybody who's part of the wrestling business that I know who wore them, like Pat Rose, George South, and other guys... We all call them Terry Funk boots because Terry's the guy that wore them everywhere. And they're not wrestling boots. That's the thing. They just happen to have soles similar to wrestling, and Terry wore his everywhere.
0: He oh, wore no them in the movie Roadhouse. I can order a pair of these. I mean, essentially, I could order a pair of wrestling boots as well, too, if I wanted them. But I could get a pair. I uh, See, I thought they were custom made then. Like, I thought George, because I remember George having them as well. Um, I, I, I want a pair myself then if I can order them.
1: Well, you can't. They don't make them anymore.
0: I, I need you to steal them to find from somebody them. then. I need to steal them well, from like, somebody you, then.
1: You can find them on eBay once in a while. I have a couple pairs I'm actually going to sell on eBay. But oh, I've had over 40 pairs since I've had them. No uh, shit. Know, had them and bought them in all the different colors. They came in and turned around and sell them. We because, need you know uh,
0: What size boot are you? What size shoe are you? Twelve. That's 12. exactly what I wear. We need to talk. Oh, really. uh, we, uh, yeah, <laughs> we, we need to talk Well, about, gonna, I'm not going to lie. They're not cheap. Oh, I know they're not cheap, but, you know, my birthday's next week or, you know, Father's Day is coming up and I'm loud enough that my wife will hear me upstairs that shit may roll downhill and it, I could get a pair of Terry Funk boots.
1: Well, I actually have a nice white and dark blue pair that are in pretty damn mint condition. Consider them. I'm not. They were made in the 80s. Yeah. Um, by the by the end of the 80s, you couldn't find them in stores other than stock that was already there. They quit making them. But you could call the company at that point and have them made custom. It took like 60 to 90 days, and you had to fill out all this stuff, which I had several pairs made like that. But the coolest part, again, was that Terry – I asked Terry where he got the booth because as soon as I saw – it, it was Terry that made it, you know, because you're, when you're a marker – I don't like to use that term, but just you like somebody – like Terry in the rest of the world, Terry is evil to me, you know, as far as that right. pedestal. So when you first met him and you realized this guy who was so mean and as a kid, you saw him beat up more fans than anybody else. I mean, literally, and I know it's an exaggeration, but it seems that every time he would come to the ring, because I saw him several times as a kid in the seventies and eighties, he would have to beat up fans because he would just get that heat. But he turned out to be like this most humble, nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. And, and anytime he would be around, I would sit next to him because he'd tell you stories and help you out, give you advice. And I asked him, man, where'd you get those boots? Those are the coolest thing. And again, it was Terry that made it because it's like Terry Funk's wearing earrings, wearing boots. If he was wearing sandals in the earring, you're like, those are the coolest sandals I've <laughs> ever seen. You know? Yes. This is the original dude, man. Right. But um, uh, but I saw the boots on him and, it, and he always wore them the way I think cowboy boots should be worn. And that's you tuck your, your uh, pants in. in the boot because they're cowboy. You know? What are you going to hide them for? And I asked him where he got them, and he goes, well, and he gave me a pair. And once he goes, I want you to have these, and I and he he gave me the number to where to get more. And he goes, but promise me not that, that you won't tell anybody else where to get them, because everybody will be wearing them. Which he said he was just joking, but he said, don't tell anybody where you got them, because everybody will be wearing them. Wow. But anyway, that's how I first got hooked on that boots, and then I would get my own pairs over the years after that.
0: Yeah, well, well when when I. Hit the stop. We need to to talk about that pair. Uh, I'm being dead serious. Uh, we'll we'll work something out. Um, I want to know what defines a good wrestling match for you. Uh, it could be what you know. Anybody, you know what? What is your match that would get anybody hooked? I, I know one oh, thing stu- that's yeah. in my head, and I know that you're going to get there.
1: Well, I mean, there's a lot of factors. But for me, well, it doesn't have to be people I like. I'm not a Kevin Owens fan, but I've seen him have matches where I went, holy crap, that was a hell of a match. I always give people credit no matter what. And there's, well, a lot of people can't do that. Like, you, there's a lot of people who hate Roman Reigns, but you go out there and just because you hate him, you don't realize that the, the kid's as talented as hell? I mean, that's insane. But um, Jerry Lawler, Terry Flunk, 1981 Mid-South Coliseum. I absolutely love that match. you probably watched it thousand times over the years it's it's nothing you know It's not a lot of technical moves but it's the crowd is into it you got the ultimate bad guy against the ultimate baby face in his home territory they're that rabid crowd they got that amazing ring sound at the mid-south coliseum the place is packed they've built the feuds where everybody wants to see jerry beat terry there's blood every punch looks amazing which again is to me is a very important aspect of wrestling yes but there's so many great wrestling matches though i mean yeah, I mean, you could go on for hours talking about great wrestling matches.
0: You you said it though. You you said it, and I don't think you you realize that you said it that they built the feud. So there's one word for that. There's a story going into a match. So the story is kind of one of the most important things in a in a wrestling match.
1: If it's done correctly, obviously. But you don't even have to have a story to go out and have a great match. But and nowadays who knows what's a great story and what isn't. Fans wow. I mean, fans nowadays are the most Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson, whatever the heck his name is now. The American Dragon. Isn't that what he calls himself?
0: Yeah. Yes, he's American Dragon. Now. Uh,
1: he's right, <laughs> even though he was using it as a gimmick in WWE, technically was the truth. But fans are fickle. And that's the truth. Yeah. I've never seen a more toxic fan base in the world but you know i'm not a fan of anything else like i don't watch boxing i don't watch i don't watch mma i don't watch football baseball i don't watch any sports and i'm sure their fans are toxic too and technically they are because i used to have a friend who loved football and every season would be like oh man i can't wait the dolphins this year and after two games they start losing Nah, the hell with the dolphins they wouldn't even watch the game that's not a fan you know that's just a bandwagon jumper like if your team does good you want to be there but if they don't you don't care that's not a fan you should watch it because you love the sport. Show if they win, they win; they lose, they lose. But watch it, you
0: know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you're, so right. Many, you're right. You're right.
1: Know, so many fans like this today are just the worst. I mean, you could sit your like, like that Saudi Arabia show last month or whatever. I thought it was a great show from start to finish. But you got people who just hate it on it. And it's like, what are you people insane? Yeah, what do you I, want from WWE? Especially considering that literally for four ninety nine a month, you're watching pay per views that would have
0: cost you sixty bucks ten years ago. You morons. Exactly. Yeah. You don't know how many times when I was younger, you know, it was my mom dropping the money because I didn't have a job. I was not of age to have a job yet. Paper route, but I was spending that on crack and horse. No, I'm kidding. Um, Ooh, <laughs> yeah, now, now your ears now your ears pop up. Um but mom, mom was dropping 30 35 bucks a month. So, you know, me and my hooligans could be in here watching wrestling events. It, it, she did it now i pay for it so i can watch the office most of the time and i will watch the events but you're right i enjoyed the the elimination chamber i thought it was one of their better pay-per-views in a long time
1: but there's so many fans now that they just go in with the mindset it's going to suck so no matter what to do it's going to suck because that's what you think it's going to be and nobody can like you know, like, again, I give credit where, it's, like, I'm not a big fan of Drew McIntyre, this kid Moss. But they had a hell of a match, too, even though the kid almost paralyzed himself. You know, if he'd have done that 25 years ago, he probably would have paralyzed himself. Because the W.W. ring for a as hell back then.
0: Uh, do you watch AEW as well? No. No?
1: What I do is I I go on the YouTube channels and I see the, what do they call those little thumbnail things, and if it interests me, I'll click on it, but I usually end up just like, ah. <laughs> Kind of like not because AEW. I don't even watch WWE anymore. I don't watch SmackDown or Raw or NXT anymore. I watch the pay-per-views, because why not? And I'm definitely going to watch WrestleMania, because it's WrestleMania!
0: Right. You know, I lost a, I lost a job over WrestleMania in 1984, or 85, the first one. Wait, tell, wait. I don't know this story. I need to know this story. How the hell did you lose a job over WrestleMania?
1: Well, I was besides wrestling. This is 1984. I'd only been wrestling for what, since 80, late '81 to okay, it's like three years, whatever. And I had a job as a security guard where I sat in a shack in in front of a, like uh, old people's housing complexes, and you know, let people. in. Great job because you sat down. My boss was really cool at the time, even though he fired me. But I had told him origi- I had told him. I said, "Look, I'm going to." I asked him like weeks before this that. You know, I'm going to WrestleMania. We They played WrestleMania 1 in arenas around Florida on closed circuit TV. So I had to go to the Lakeland Civic Center, which is like an 8,000-seat arena. And a friend and I got tickets to be there to watch it on closed circuit TV. And I told him ahead of time that we're going. We got the tickets. Oh, no problem. But the day before the show, he goes, Bob, you got to work. So what do we mean I got to work? I had to ask it out. Well, this guy can't come in. You got to do it. So I'm not doing it. I'm going to WrestleMania he goes, well you got a choice. WrestleMania or, or this job. I said, Well, I'm going to WrestleMania, kid.
0: <laughs> That's it. WrestleMania One is the only one that I've never watched live. Um Really? Yeah. Not being there or anything. Oh, I'm you gonna, mean you never watched live when you, it first happened? Yeah, when it first happened. That was the only one. Otherwise, I was at Closed Circuits or then pay per views came out, or you know, all like that. WrestleMania was the only WrestleMania one was the only one that I did not see when it actually happened all the other ones uh, up until even in next month i will watch it hopefully god willing or it, my, my wife willing um yeah i've watched all of them
1: but you have watched WrestleMania
0: one i have oh yeah god yeah i own okay. the tapes yeah the, i still like the vcr tapes yeah. oh well you know. <laughs> i just got rid of all my vcr tapes <laughs> nostalgia over nostalgia i had over two
1: thousand tapes and i was like you know what these are sitting in boxes i'm never going to look at them again And I gave it to a friend.
0: Right. And everything's on digital copy now that it's easier instead of pulling out. Yeah.
1: Years ago, like maybe 10 years ago or so I had a DVD recorder and I put all this, like I put 200 or so hours of my own stuff from old tapes on a DVD. And the only stuff I have VCR is like commercial tapes still.
0: Okay. Yep. The, uh, Coliseum video ones, then essentially, yeah, yeah, a lot of those, yeah, other ones. okay. So, let's talk about your career. We've really been jumping and we'll continue to jump. Screw it, uh, we don't have to need a rundown. But you, we always talk about the power of the punch. You have the best punch in the business. How did that moniker come? Who gave you that? And uh, because you do, after I went back and you know, watched some more, you, you really do have the best punch mm-hmm. in the business still. Because now it's not even a punch; it's an or a forearm or an elbow or a leg. Or slap. if it is
1: a punch, it looks like crap. Yeah, yeah. Like I watched, like again, I watched AEW once in a while, just the little clips that they show on their YouTube channel. And I watched some clip of Hangman Adam Page from I don't know last week or something. He's their world champion. He comes running down to the ring, jumps in the ring, and I think he was punching the Bucks or something. And those the punches look got awful. And I'm thinking, man. You would never catch Terry Funk doing that, Jack Briscoe doing that, you know, when they were world champions. It's unbelievable that they air this on national TV. But anyways, I digress. Is that a word, too? That is a word. Maybe maybe you mean Dean Orkland said it. But first of all, I appreciate everybody who says that about The Greatest Punch, which I don't believe I have. To me, the greatest punch of all time is Jerry the King Lawler when he's on Nobody punches like you ever watch his matches with superstar Bill Dunn, or Terry Funk, as I said, Nick Bockwinkle. When they're on, when they're in their prime, when they're motivated, Sherry Lawler had the best punch because he could punch all kinds of different directions. Roundhouses, uppercuts, straight to your face, lefts, rights. Didn't matter. They all looked amazing. And he didn't hurt you at all, which is the art of the punch, by the way, for all you marks out there who thinks wrestlers should be stiff and hit each other. It's not MMA. It's wrestling. It's supposed to look real without being real. That's the art. Any idiot can go out and punch somebody. you know. And 90% of the time, real punches look worse because you're trying not to hurt the guy, but you're trying to hit the guy. It doesn't make any sense. But uh, to me, Jerry Lawler has the best puncher. A lot of guys have great punches. Don't get me wrong. I just say someone has to be the best. So it's Jerry Lawler. Okay. But to answer your question, the guy who started that was Bill Watts in WCW or whenever he came in. I don't remember when it was, ninety one, ninety two. I don't remember.
0: Yeah, I think it was ninety two. but yeah. But he's the one who started
1: that. I was at center stage one time and was working with, uh, I was there more than once, but I'm just sitting at one time. This is the one time. <laughs>
0: yeah, one time I was there. But and he said, he's I got the match fight. You're fired. Right.
1: I was working uh, Van Hammer. Okay. And after the match, Jesus. who, by the way, is a great guy and gets a lot of uh, flack you don't deserve. But that's another story. Um, after the match, I was upstairs at the place getting a Coke, whatever, and Pee Wee Anderson, who's no longer here, so, the Cook, Watts wants to see it. and back in those days, or any time Watts days, I guess, usually that meant you're going to get yelled at for something, which, by the way, is another story where Sting saved me from getting yelled at by Watts one night. But anyways, uh, I go down in the hallway of the place, and everybody's in the hallway, and Watts goes, I want to tell you guys something. This guy has the best punch I've ever seen next to my own. He threw that in there, you know? Of course. <laughs> He goes, from now on, I want you guys to sell it like crazy, and I want the announcers to put it over. And he goes, By the way, if everybody had a punch like this, this business wouldn't be in the shit it's in right now. And again, that's a great accolade. You know, I I was like, Oh, man, I can't believe you're saying that in front of everybody. You know, and and then he asked me to help teach his son, Eric, another guy who gets uh, a lot of flack he didn't deserve. I mean, he was just a young kid and put in a tough position and handled it really well. But that's another story. I went in a room somewhere at the Sportatorium, sportatorium uh, in center stage and tried to help Eric learn how to throw a
0: punch. And, and I'm a
1: horrible teacher, by the way. So, <laughs> Well,
0: that, that was my next question. Like, why, why did you never start a wrestling school or, or anything like that or at least become a trainer to, to be able to show these kids nowadays or even 20 years ago, essentially – the the art of wrestling
1: well what's funny is uh in 1986 i had a wrestling school for a brief time oh. uh tony marino who was a famous professor from back in the day in the 60s 70s and uh, he was like, also good friends with uh the great malenko and he had a uh, was involved in a wrestling in a tv show that i was also part of because the great malenko was part of it angelo powerful and different people and tony had a school in tampa and i used to go there I think it was like late 84 85, just get different training you know you go try to learn different things and his training was brutal but the, the, the short of the story is that he shut his school down and he didn't have anywhere to put his ring and i asked her and i said hey yeah uh, we could open a place up down by where i live we found a warehouse and he let me use the ring for a while and i trained a few people like rex king who went on to become um, well done in wwe okay and uh a guy named rick Ryder who did a lot of stuff in TV, you know, TV stuff with me in, in uh, WCW and different things. But Rick and I, he's actually the, my favorite opponent ever. We had any kind of match you could think of here in Florida for like 10 years on the Indies and main events, semi-main events. And, and you go back to your your statement earlier about being on TV and what it means. You know, back in those days when you were on TV, even though you're the loser, Independent shows would put you on WCW a superstar, WCW a star, whatever, or you know, they promote the fact you were on WCW in the indie
0: show. Yeah, and you were the one bringing, as Ricky Morton would say, you were the one putting asses in seats then.
1: Well, probably not, but anyways, they just they would use that as a plus. Okay. Well,
0: I, I went to wrestling events because Barry Horowitz was there, or you know, um, Iron Mike Sharp was somebody coming out. You know, people like that were like, holy shit, we're going to see this guy that's on WWF or WCW, NWA or anything. We we're going. I didn't know Sam Jones or anybody that was there. I knew Iron Mike Sharp was going to be there. So me and the boys, you know, drove. We live in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, by the way. We're three hours north of Pittsburgh, two hours South of Buffalo, and if I look out my window right now, there's trees, and that's it for miles and miles.
1: Well, as the nuclear holocaust is upon us, that's the best place to be. Really not gonna
0: be It really is for your for your area. Yeah, we're perfect up here right now. <laughs> we don't have shit going on. Right.
1: Um, but how? But I, again, I I didn't have the patience to be a trainer. Like when I was a kid, like I said, I did the backyard wrestling, although I didn't know exactly what they were doing on tv we emulated as best we could and we practiced all kinds of time. and i had the backdrop down perfect we used to do like you're gonna powder up a guy and they'll put you over like a backdrop we used to do that stuff on concrete when i was a kid it's just, like Harley erased it for Good 40 years god it's stupid stuff and how many, so I many a,
0: concussions do you have
1: i don't i don't know i i've never been to a doctor for a concussion. I've been knocked out a few times in the ring. Does that count as a concussion? I don't know. Close enough, yeah. Like uh, Mark Starr knocked me out with a dropkick off the top rope. Uh, Rick Steiner knocked me loopy with a clothesline. Those guys, Thunder and Lightning, knocked me out with a forearm. <laughs> but, anyways, um, um, look, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought because of all those concussions. See? so enough but like a lot of my point was that i, I had a, a little bit of a knowledge of what was going on but then when i went to great millennial school obviously he taught me the real reason to do things and how to do things and the correct way to do things but i learned quick that's my point point. and as a trainer if you didn't like if i'm trying to show you how to do a lockup or a headlock and you don't you can't figure it out after a couple of times i'm like what the hell am i here for you know? yeah because people who would you know so they had no patience but then again in like 2005 my kid expressed interest in becoming a wrestler and a friend of mine and i was at a local convenience store and there was this flyer about a wrestling school right in our town that i didn't know about and we went to the school you know meant to guys nice guys and everything not the greatest trainers but they started training with them a little bit and i'd sit there while they were training and these guys are showing them stuff the wrong way and doing different things. And, and my kid knew he'd look over at me and I'd just shake my head. You know, now these guys don't know what they're doing. Do you and pull so out out a ring. There real
0: quick? Okay, go ahead. Yeah.
1: Yeah, a friend and I bought a ring and I had it in my backyard for a while. So I trained my friend and I trained my kid and I had other people come over. But again, I had no patience for it. And people don't have no dedication. Like porn is free, but guess what? Training to be a wrestler shouldn't be. So you have guys that want to be rest and they would start to pay you, and then they oh, I can't pay you this week, you
0: can't. Eh, so I just got tired of it. Yeah, so you can't come next week, then. You don't pay me, you can't come. Right. I, that, to make a long story short, I was a horrible
1: trainer, and I didn't have the patience for it. Okay. Not a good teacher.
0: Not a good teacher. Uh, questions now. How do you, you know, you start, I remember seeing you first in NWA slash WCW, whatever the hell you want to call it. It will always be NWA to me. Uh, it really will. Um, how do you transition from, like, NWA and get to go to WWF? Do, because I know there's contracts and stuff like that for the big guys, we'll put it like that. But And, again, I said I hate using this word, but for enhancement talent, how do you how do you make that transition to another federation? Friends.
1: Yeah. I, uh, there was a guy named Jimmy Backlund or Jimmy Del Rey who was a tag team with Tom Pritchard of yep. the Heavenly Bodies and uh, Smoky Mountain with Jim Cornette. And he got a job with WWF, and I think they were the Heavenly Bodies, right, Tom? And, they were. And yep. Jimmy would, but Jimmy called me one day, he said, Wow. you want to do TV for WWF?" Sure. That's how it happened. That simple. That simple,
0: but that's that's a hell of a lot easier than it is now, right? What? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Now it seems probably easier than ever to get in wrestling, isn't it? I don't know. Well, to get into wrestling, yeah, shit, I can have one in my own backyard and stream it, and I'm going to get a million views. And right, is I mean, it really wrestling?
1: Monsterrings.com, highspots.com, you got a ring.
0: Yeah. Tax season, you know, there's going to be more shows coming soon. Oh, shit. There's already some, so, so many published, uh, being thrown up around Pittsburgh right now that, yeah. And the promises the one... of everybody get it and, you know, I, I hate to say this, but the Patriot, uh, Del Welks, but Tom Brandy is the Patriot now, but, you know, when I still think of the Patriot, I think of Del Welks, and he's promised to be at this show. And, and I'm like, God, huh. this, this guy is such a, and scam artist so yeah
1: he, he's promising Dell Wilkes the patriot, no he's Tom? just
0: saying he's saying the patriot the original Patriot will be here oh. it, the, the the original, the original okay. is what pisses me off yeah
1: yeah well he, maybe he doesn't know you know <laughs> even <laughs> though you should look up how you, know, you can find out facts releasing out there
0: right you should but again it's it's taxis and wrestling it really is but Tom's a great guy though so Tom I'm, is a good guy he actually, Tom Brandy actually did a show in our hometown, uh, January fifteenth, nineteen ninety five, right before he went to uh, be Salvatore Sincere. Huh. He was yeah, jo- he was Johnny Gun.
1: Yeah, that's right. I, I worked with him in WW W W C W WCW when him and Tom Zink were attacking.
0: Yep. Uh, there's something on YouTube. I believe you talked with Hannibal or somebody. And it's going to be a twofold question. You said that Arn Anderson, you and his match were, was like one of the brutalest matches that you've had, but he was like a feather with you. Like you sold everything so good. Can you kind of elaborate on that? And then on the flip side, because we've, we've heard that Arn is such a light worker, but makes it look you know, brutal, not horrible, brutal. Um, but do you have somebody on the flip side that doesn't make it look so good and is a terrible worker? Like We've heard things about the Iron Sheik of just literally beating the piss out of people.
1: Yeah, I never worked with the Iron Sheik. I was a tag team partner with him a couple of times. but No, I didn't say Arn's match was brutal. The guy I was talking to uh, said it looked brutal, and I said, well, I got news for you. It wasn't. It was <laughs> easy as could be. But to me, I mean, I didn't. I never worked with a lot of guys who were stiff. And I worked with the Road Warriors and Steiner and Kevin Sullivan, all these guys that people think are killers. And they, they can be, and I've seen them do it to guys, but they were easy as heck to me. I never hit them too hard, and they never asked me to hit them hard. So nobody <laughs> thinks everybody should be stiff. But in those days, nobody liked
0: somebody to be stiff. Nobody asked you to hit them harder. Was it no. a respect thing then? Like did did the Road Warriors opinion, think, ask for you to be because you were in a hell of a lot of Road Warrior matches. A hell of a lot of Road Warrior matches. I don't think they ever asked who to
1: to work or in my case, but they just you know, Jody Hamilton, the mass assassin, was the one who set up most of the T V matches with the charmers, a term I hate to. But I don't think anybody said, Hey, I want to work with Bob Cook, you know. Okay. But again, nope very few guys were stiff. I mean biggest jerk and i've said this a hundred times on different podcasts was vader matt born buzz sort guys like that who had no respect for anybody especially the tv guys vader was constantly told to stop hurting people and he wouldn't listen because he had no respect he didn't care about anybody but himself and i don't care what anybody thinks they can say that vader is a nice guy Oh, i met vader five years ago he was nice as hell yeah he was also not a star 10 years prior you know i mean you've gone down you know everybody becomes humble at some point yeah, Well, um, not me, of course. I got an eagle the size
0: of a nuclear warhead coming to horse. <sighs>
1: I'm just kidding.
0: Um, I, I wasn't going to bring up Vader, but you brought up Vader. Uh, w- was that the only reason why Vader was um, essentially a dick and, you know, rest, rest in peace, and now he's going into the WWE Hall of Fame? But w- was there any other clash with Vader? Or was it just because of what he did to the talent?
1: Well, I mean, I had a couple of incidents with here. They're not really clashes. I never talked to him that much, but he was just a guy who, again, clearly had no respect for anyone. He didn't just hurt the TV guys; he hurt a lot of the big stars, like Nikita Koloff and Stevo right. and Sting and Jack and or Cactus, whatever. But uh, what was I going to say? Uh, I was coming out of a uh, coming to the Ramada Inn where all the guys stayed after tv in atlanta one night doing what everybody's been drinking and mike graham and vader coming back and mike goes oh we just got thrown out of a bar because of vader now for a fight or whatever and i was like you know i was drunk too i was like oh i don't like to fight vader grabbed me but you want to fight and mike's like calm down vader he's one of us you know (laughs) but vader was just a jerk and i know he has people who probably liked him maybe maybe his wife liked him i don't know but i don't know a lot of guys that liked him tv guys at least
0: Right. When I said TV guys, I meant the whole gamut because I know, yeah, clearly Mick Foley doesn't have an ear because of him, and you know, yeah, I, but that was Vader's fault. No, no, but still, yeah. I mean, that that was I mean, that was Mick.
1: That was Mick going, "Hey, I'm going to do this weird move. These ropes are tight as hell. I'm going to try to stick my head in between them and get them kind of tied up. It'll be cool,
0: right? <laughs> yeah." uh we're we're on the line I, I might as well go down this line as well screw it i'm just in a mood i'm on beer number two during this podcast um uh, i got a case of hard mountain dew i haven't tapped into yet real hard mountain what the hell is hard mountain dew just, I'm not, it just came out last week mountain dew with booze in it is it no shit i didn't even hear it's about it well, don't forget we're a little bit out of the world up here
1: well they don't have it in your state yet it's only released in three states like I don't know where, but Florida got it. That's all I know. And Florida, I'm got addicted it. to Mountain Dew. I'm addicted to Mountain Dew. And I've seen reviews and people were saying the original flavor tastes like Mountain Dew. And I'm like, wait a minute now. I've always aspired to be a drug addict, but I'm going to wait until I'm 80. I've always wanted to be an alcoholic because life
0: sucks. Now's my chance. You know? What's what's the alcohol percentage in it? Just like a beer, 5%. Oh, 5%. Okay. It's still, though, I'm, I'm in for that.
1: You drink a beer. I mean, if I drink all 12 of them, I'm probably going to be feeling pretty good.
0: Yeah. Now you have to send me a pair of boots say, and Mountain let me, Dew. Let me rephrase that. Uh,
1: when I drink the whole 12-pack.
0: <laughs> yeah, because that's going to happen as you're building something tonight. Um, Jim Crockett. Let me just say that. What comes to mind when you hear the words Jim Crockett?
1: Uh, Bug-eyed, mongoloid-looking freak. Why? He's the guy who killed Florida Wrestling, in my opinion. In 1987, he bought Florida Wrestling from Mike Graham and whoever else owned it promised us all kinds of things. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Then shut it down by the end of the year. That's Jim Crockett. He only bought Florida wrestling to get their TV slots.
0: And that was it. Just roll them over.
1: Yeah. Uh, And he wasn't, to me, he wasn't the nicest guy. I mean, I always like to say his checks never bounced, which is good. And we got paid decent for for the loser I am. But but I remember one time at the, Miami Beach Convention, so I was walking to the hallway and uh, Jim was like leaning against the wall or something he had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and I just walked by and wasn't paying and I accidentally knocked a cigarette out of his mouth with my shoulder, which would probably give you an indication how short the man was. But I, and he gave me like the dirtiest, I was like, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Crockett. He didn't say anything, that's okay. He just gave you the dirtiest look like he wanted to kill you. I was thinking, Jesus, it's a cigarette, calm down. I'm sure you've had worse things in your orifices. Just relax, kid. But um, So he gave me that look. But then years later, after Turner bought Crockett, uh, Jim still hung around a lot. I know he had some kind of role, but he was around a lot. And one of the pay-per-views, I think it was in Milwaukee, when Sting beat Luger for the title, just before Lex went to in 91 or whatever it was for the first time.
0: Okay. I'm trying to roll back my head, but I yeah, I, I don't when, know if I can make he was it to 91, gonna, but yeah. When
1: he was going to be the narcissist or whatever. Yeah. But he lost to Sting, and then they did this angle in the back where Sting had it tight on Rick Roode, interrupted, and Sting and Roode got in a big fight. And all those guys had to break it up, Rip Rogers and me, because and, we were all like dressed as security. And Jim was standing next to me, and he was a, such a different person from that point because he, he no longer had the stress of running the whole company, right? And I was like, hey, Mr. Clark, would you hold my glasses for me so I can break this fight up? And he held my glasses. It was really
0: nice. That's the point of my story. I don't even know where I went with that. Too many concussions. <laughs> See? I told you. They're just not documented. All right. Let's talk about some more people that you worked with. Everybody, of, of course, doing some a little bit of homework. Everybody talks about you and Flair. You and Flair, you know, was that one of your greatest matches? You only fought Flair one time ever, right? I, I thought yeah. that. Why is that one always brought up?
1: Well, because I post it every year on my Facebook. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> because
0: it's the only thing you I post Flair.
1: <laughs> okay, I think it's cool. I like did screenshots of it, and I posted on my Facebook every year at his birth. And I goes, you know, wishing him a happy birthday, and then I like did this brag that I wrestled Flair.
0: <laughs> was that one of your Was that one of your highlights in wrestling? Wrestling Flair.
1: I mean, yeah, for them. Yeah, I mean, it was fun. again, it was just a TV match. It was like Flair, less than five minutes long, right? But it, you know, it's it's certainly not the best match I ever had by far. And it wasn't a horrible match. It's Flair. How bad could it be? I mean, I was in it, so that doesn't help. But he, I I didn't even want to wrestle him the day it happened. It just worked out that I worked with him. <laughs> uh, it is funny. I did this interview with that. I think it was that same podcast. Uh, some news site took the part where I talked about working with flair and it, it said the headline of the story says former WWE superstar says why he didn't want to work with flair and I click on it guys I saw that and I click it that's me what are they thinking, I was thinking man they call me a WWE uh, superstar so it's on the internet it must be true right
0: it's got to be true it's exactly but they
1: they actually took that little bit that I had said and made it into a headline I thought that was funny
0: and spun it though
1: you were just no saying, no they didn't they didn't spin it no they oh. just they just used it as the head if you read the headline you'd think oh this guy you would think negatively maybe it's something negative about flair and then when you go read the story they quote everything i said which is not negative at all i love flair i thought he was he's one of the greatest of all time He was always cool to me it's just the day i had to work with him i didn't want to you know you know who dave penzer is yes and i know i've told this story a hundred times but at, back in those days dave was like Jody Hamilton's right hand man. He just did a lot of stuff for him, printed stuff, helped him out, whatever. And he comes up to me, he's at the, uh, wherever it was in Orlando. Hey, Bob, guess who you're working? I said, uh, I don't know. He goes, you're working Flair. And I was like, oh, crap, I don't want to work Flair. And Dave's like, shocked. He's like, what do you mean you don't want to work Flair? You love Flair. I thought you'd love to work for Flair because uh, Dave was with Jody in their church, you know, figuring out the TV, who's going to work who. And and I suggested you work Flair, and Jody loved it. And and I said, but Edric Flair, what if I heard him? What if I do something wrong? What if I make a mistake? I'll be the most hated guy in the business. I don't want to work with Flair. <laughs> that was my mindset. It wasn't like, I don't want to work with Flair. I don't want to lose to Flair. That's crazy. I'd lose to Flair every day. It just I didn't want to take, you know, what if I, again, what if I hurt him? Like I wrestled Joey Mags in that underdog challenge match and I hurt him in the first move. What if I did that to Flair? <laughs> you know, that was my mindset. And, uh, but then I went out and had the match and it was easy as heck. We didn't go over the whole match before we went out for three hours and forget it like most kids do today. Just before we went out, we're standing at the door, and I said, Rick, what are we going to do? And he goes, just listen to me and remember the figure four, Bob, it will be fine. Boom. That was it. Wow. Everything you see me do in the match, he told me to do from poking his eye to whatever. He told me to do it, and that's the best.
0: Yeah, on the fly, is that your favorite part of just doing it on the fly compared to, like you said, having it scripted? Because I, I heard oh, Savage and Steamboat had to have their, their matches scripted to the T. It's not true. It's, it's not true. Uh, oh, thank you. Somebody finally saying that.
1: No, a lot of people think that because that one WrestleMania match was from start to finish. You could call it scripted. But I was with Steamboat a couple of years ago to FanFest in Tampa. I mean, I wasn't with him, but I was there at the FanFest because I'm friends with the guys that went. Dave Penser is actually the guy who put it on. And I do, I would always go to those, just hang out with the guys, you know. But Steamboat was there, and he had a question and answer, and that was brought up. And he said that him and Randy wanted to make sure, because they knew that was a special moment. We're talking WrestleMania 3, we're talking 90-plus thousand people, we're talking worldwide, everything. Biggest event in history. And they wanted that match to be perfect. So they would both, I think he said they had like 160 different aspects of the match, something like that. And they both had notepads, and they wrote down what they were doing. And throughout the months up leading up to the match, they would quiz each other. They'd see each other in the dressing room or whatever. And they say 68, steam But like, whatever it was, 68. all drop down, leaf frog, hip toss, get it again. Whatever the spot was, and they would quiz each other continuously and go over it when they were together. So they got that match perfect. But that was the only one.
0: Ah, oh, see? Sons of bitches. It's on the internet. So I believed it.
1: Right. So people think that now people think that Randy did that with every match you ever had, and it's just not true.
0: Thank you. That 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 makes me feel better. I don't know why, but that makes me feel better. Uh, I, yeah, I've I'm always, that way too. Yeah.
1: When I heard that, I was like, and you know, all these people said for years that Savage liked to go over. So now he may have been meticulous about things he liked to do. I don't know. I only met him a couple of times. I knew his father really well and, and Lanny, but uh, that's the point. He that was the main. The only match they really did that with and you know, hey, if anybody would know, I think it'd be the guy in the
0: match. Right. Yeah. And Steamboat was a little bit into that match. Yeah.
1: Right. And they and he said they would they would like in they would go over things and they would try to quiz each other to make sure they remember different things and then he would take things away and think, you know, this is basically like a Hollywood script. Like, okay,
0: you're gonna be with this guy, you know, however it was. But that's what they did. That's what all right. Um who did you? Re- I I know I kind of asked this when we were talking about Funk a little bit, but who are some other ones that you really enjoyed working with? Because I, I have the list, like that I said, that Pillman, Eaton, The Road Warriors. Was there somebody else that you really, really enjoyed working with? Well, like I said, the Rick Ryder is my favorite well, opponent.
1: ever, yeah. but that wasn't TV. You know, TV. I never liked doing TV. And I had no problem with losing. That wasn't the issue. I just got nervous always you know what if you made a mistake you look like an idiot whatever i never liked it i was always nervous but i did it because i did it (laughs) but um for me as far as tv stuff goes i mean eddie or uh oh eddie gilbert i was gonna say eddie gilbert was fantastic bobby Eaton, Cactus jack i mean most of the guys steamboat unbelievable uh jerry lawler one of my all-time favorites getting to work with him was just even though again it was just a short tv match with jeff uh, his partner against me and Pat Rose, and thanks to Pat Rose, that's another somewhat somewhat funny story. But thanks to Pat Rose, the match happened. But those are just some of my best memories, even though they're short. But they're like your heroes, you know. Right. I was always a big Jerry Lawler fan and Harley Race and different people like from that era. So being able to work with Law, and then the greatest compliment I ever got after the match: got a hell of a punch there, kid. Boom, validation, regardless of if anybody else agrees. The king telling you, you got a great punch.
0: Yeah, that. (sighs) I I knocked down the king. You knocked down the king. And then he got up and
1: jab, 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 big punch. Guess what I felt? The bump I took. Not the punches. You know why? Because it's work. It's a work.
0: (laughs) What has wrestling brought to your life?
1: Had the greatest times ever. I mean, and a long time friendships. Like I'm still, fr- you know, again, it's it's also a business where once you're gone, you're gone, and you don't see a lot of guys. But there are certain ones that I have been able to stay in contact with since the beginning and beyond. And and again, our Legends Lunch is to me is is so important. Being able to get together with a bunch of guys every few months and just goof around,
0: have fun. Do you forget about life? Yeah, that's that. That's number one. That I and think- I'm on the board of directors of the Legends License. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And you're a social media coordinator for Collar and Elbow. There you go. Um, do you do, you do cons a lot? Uh, like there, there's what the hell's the one I'm going to in November? Uh, WrestleCade that's in North Carolina. Like, do you do those? Do you do or? or you, where you travel around or do you stay kind of in Florida right now?
1: Yeah, I don't do any of that stuff. I wish I could. I wish, see, I'm not famous enough to do that. I wish, I wish I was just famous enough to make money to fake smile, shake hands and sign autographs.
0: And that sucks because that, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I know it sucks for you because it sucks overall because you, what you did for the wrestling business is, is – and I – don't get me wrong. I'd love to talk to Flair. I'd love to – he's got his own podcast. I'd love to talk to this one, that one, this one. They're they're made. We hear their stories. That's why I like talking to you and, and Barry and, and because we don't get to hear these stories enough of – like you, you. You you don't get to go to WrestleCade because people don't know who the hell you are, and that bothers me. And that's, I want to get you out there more. I mean, I'm not being a publicist or a promoter or <laughs> taking 10% of shit. I'm just saying, like, I more, and I, again, this bad word of enhancement talent needs to be recognized and loved for what you've done for the business. You were my childhood. I saw Flair beat you up because <laughs> Flair was in this in this story with whomever at that time. I saw the Road Warriors fucking rip your head off you were there. Bob Cook was in my childhood. So you...
1: Yeah, a lot of guys you were there. Guys get those sponsors to bring them into. So if anybody else that wants to sponsor Bob Cook at one of those places, hey, pin me, pay me, as Bobby Blaze would say. <laughs>
0: yes. So let's get that going. Uh By the way, WrestleCade is the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday right after... Uh, Thanksgiving in November, so we got some time to get this going. We we have to. And I know,
1: I know, I know George South real well. He he's part of
0: that, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay, uh, to go. Like
1: I wouldn't, like I know you can get a table and do whatever. I wouldn't do that, you know.
0: No, somebody's gonna sponsor your ass to get there. We're gonna get right. this. We're which gonna is, get this. Which isn't gonna happen either. <laughs> I don't know. Do, well, I got some podcast money. Don't be so no. <laughs> <clears throat> um, Ronnie Garvin. Why well, be the new Virgil? You know, take no, the- no, I don't know if this
1: Bob Cook know. guy, I'd be sitting there playing on my phone, no one be in line. I, I don't
0: know if you'd be the new Virgil. I'll tell you that right now. We see enough of him in Pittsburgh at, on a flea market. So let's just. Really? Yeah. That Those stories are true, Bob. Those stories are true. He just literally shows up sometimes. And there he is. What the fuck is Virgil doing outside the supermarket? Selling stuff. Yeah, well, if if he actually sells stuff, that's a good thing. I don't. Uh, he pushes. He, he pushes more than people want. Uh, I, I digress. You used it. I'll well, use it there. He's,
1: he's got action figures he can sell, at least.
0: He does. He does. You have a shitload of boots that you can but sell. But I have.
1: Uh, never mind. I won't talk about what
0: I got going on. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, I know it's not the same. But the best punch in the business and hands of stone. Did did you and Ronnie Garvin ever have? This is a a, a joke question, I guess. Did you guys ever have a a, a beef or a talk about it? Because I I know it's not the same thing, but if you look, it's kind of at least in the same family.
1: Yeah, I know. I've never really talked to Ronnie. I mean, he kept he comes to our legends lunches, but I don't talk to him. Uh, I mean, I am shake his hand or something, but I've never, I have never—I don't really know him that well. I'm glad I never got to work with him on TV because he used to really treat you guys like crap. And I don't appreciate that. No.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I don't want to keep throwing everybody under the bus here tonight. We can do that in hmm. another episode. Uh, you won championships in Florida. You were a former NWA uh, Florida Tag Team champion. Um, let's talk about those days a little bit before, if you don't mind, I know I said about an hour, but we're going to go over if you don't care.
1: I ain't got nothing to do. Good.
0: Good. Um, let's talk about those days a little bit, you know, kind of not the, the bigger things that you've done. Um, did you enjoy those more than just being, and I, I, I know I keep throwing it out there and I don't like it. This, the enhancement talent.
1: Uh, I I, just, I loved everything about my time in wrestling. I have like no regrets, no bitterness towards it. Uh, anything I didn't accomplish is 100% my own fault. And I've told the story hundreds of times again that I was given four chances by Dusty Rhodes and WCW to do more. And like Jenna Jameson, I blew them all. Oh, that was a good one. Pulled out of left
0: field. <laughs> you got me on that one. Most uh, people are like,
1: this "Is Jenna Jameson.
0: Okay, Marilyn Chambers.
1: That's a better re- 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 reference, anyways.
0: I, I don't know that. I don't know the second one that you need. I know Jenna oh Jameson. My God. Yeah, we're gonna have to. <laughs> a lot to talk about after. Um, <laughs> what what happened? If, if you don't, what 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 did you do that you blew? I guess.
1: I it's what I didn't do because every time Dusty brought, you know, I was supposed to be Tech uh Originally, really, become Dennis Knight. Who again? I love Dennis. One of the good friends I've known him for years. We honored him at our last Legends lunch. But I was the original idea for Tech Slasinger But I hurt my knee. In this that case, it wasn't my fault. So there was four times, but three times I blew it. Like you could say four times I blew it because I blew my knee out. There, yeah, I did it again. oh, oh. but anyways, <laughs> uh, that was. And I didn't even know that at the time. I was standing behind the curtain with Barry Windham. And just watching a match, Tex and uh, Mark or uh, Shanghai, however you want to refer to them, we're in a match. And Barry goes, Bob, you knew you were supposed to be Tex. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, you hurt your knee, and then we had to find someone else, which is how the business works, right? No one's going to wait around, especially a loser. And I go, well, we got to wait till Bob gets better. No, we just go on, you know.
0: Yeah. Uh... But the other
1: times, it was all Dusty would always tell me after you, tell me what he had in mind to get in better shape. And I would always say, Okay, and then, like the addiction to Mountain Dew, I drank too much, and I didn't do what I was supposed to do. So it, so it the opportunities went by. Like, you would give me an opportunity, I'd blow it, you'd bring another opportunity to me, I'd blow it. You'd bring another. Me and a guy named Joe Cruz were supposed to be the new assassins, and we were going to be managed by Jody Hamilton as the original assassin. Even went to the power plant with DDP and Jody to... Learn different techniques of old school tag teaming and stuff, but it all resulted in getting in better shape than I never did. I think I liken it to perhaps I, I was complacent. I had no problem with my spot. Maybe I was afraid of success, or maybe I was just an idiot who had too many concussions. I'm blaming it on the concussions. Everybody else does. If I murder my family, concussions.
0: So you Worked you for you, Crispin Wall. You love this whole concussion thing, right now? You do,
1: even though even though what Crispin Wall did is not true. I mean, he, uh, he murdered his family, but it had nothing to do with concussions. You can kiss my ass if you don't think that's true.
0: Yeah, no, I I do. Is there somebody in the business that uh, even now, I guess that you, if you could, you'd you would have wished it had a match with. Uh...
1: I always wanted to work with Shawn Michaels. Certain people back in those, I would have loved to work with Shawn Michaels because he's one of the best ever. would have loved to work with Terry Taylor. And my favorite wrestler of all time, I never got to actually work with, Terry Funk. Now, I don't think I would have wanted to work with Terry Funk on TV because I remember uh, I was in Florida with him the night before he went to uh, Nashville to beat up Flair. Okay. Uh, he was in Florida here wrestling Dusty. Maybe it was two nights before, but he was in Florida here wrestling Dusty Rhodes in a bunkhouse match. And then he was going go to go to, you know, do that. And I was talking to him. I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll get to work with you. He goes, Bob, I don't like to work with people that I know and like on TV. So that instantly meant, oh, well, that's probably a good thing I didn't work with him.
0: <laughs> Michaels, do you do you consider, Flair considers Michaels the, the greatest wrestler to walk the face of the earth. Um are you on that same page then, essentially? Since you want to work with them,
1: yeah, I would say one of. I don't think this, this thing is the greatest. Thank you.
0: Everything's
1: opinionated. you know, there's some people who think you could have somebody sitting in a bar right now, gathered together with his friends. They're all drinking, and having a good time, and he stands up and he goes, "God damn it, the big show's the greatest wrestler ever." And there's people that would be going, "You're nuts." So you know that it's all. Matter of an opinion. so. But there's but also people who will be
0: like, yes, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Exactly, because they're nuts.
1: But no, Sean's definitely one of the greatest of all time, no doubt. Anybody could, who wouldn't see that. I mean, you can hate Sean all you want. You can believe the stories. And I like to tell that story, too. I know Sean had his issues, and certain people have issues with him. But in the day I was in WWE, F, whatever, he was cool as crap to me. He was just a guy who walked around happy-go-lucky. But you know who wasn't cool? Bret Hart. Bret Hart wasn't cool. He walked around like he was miserable, like he he thought he was better than everybody else. Eagle the size of Manhattan. So suck on that, people who like to hear the other story.
0: Yeah, and, and this is this is from somebody who's been behind that curtain and, and knows. so I, again, I,
1: like anything, everybody has different experiences, people.
0: People say, oh, Vader was a
1: cuddly teddy bear. Okay, fine but he wasn't to everybody, you
0: know? Right. Right. How much, because there was a while just dealing with some independence up here, how much drama was behind the curtain uh, in the, in your years? Because I know there was a lot of fighting and then it kind of petered off and then it picked back up around here a little bit behind. And now everybody's a happy family. It's kind of the roller coaster of wrestling, though, right?
1: I'll be honest with you. I never seen any fights. Like there was a few. I, I wish I was there with the day Paul Underwood beat up Vader. My God, of all the times not to be there. But I never saw it. And from my point of view, there was no drama at all. But I also was a lower echelon guy. I also didn't have an ego. I was there to have fun. You know, I did what I was told. I showed up on time. It didn't cause trouble. So if I felt like you know, I flew under the radar. You know, I wasn't one of those guys that got ribbed, which is great. Maybe they didn't like me enough to rib me. Fine. I don't want to be ribbed. I don't want to be Mr. Fuji, who was like one of the biggest assholes in wrestling when it comes to ribs. I don't want to be part of that. And I'm glad I wasn't.
0: Yeah. Is there a Is there a match, like a stipulation match that you wish you would have done, um, maybe, I don't what the hell is coming back, uh, where Cornette guys, there's a scaffold match coming up at, at some point for something that I'm shocked that they're bringing that back or anything, any, anything new that you were like, damn, I wish that was around, um, that I could have been in because I know you were in the war games match. Mm, I wasn't that well, like a war games. No, what do you mean? Like we were, were, you were at the war games paper, uh, you were at the War Games pay per view, weren't you? Well,
1: I was at the yeah, not uh, in Russell the match Scott hall. Yeah, yeah not I, I, Russell Scott Hall at the Great American Bash '87 at the One Man Miami. The main event was, I think it was the second War Games at that time. Yeah, I wasn't in the War Games. I didn't mean,
0: <laughs> I didn't mean in the War Games. That I misspoke. No, 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 no. I know that. For, yeah, but was there a, was there a stipulation match that you wish you could have done, or did you have stipulations matches on the Indies that you're like? man, I really love having these, you know, just kind of like stupid, silly matches, like the Chamber of Horrors match or something like that.
1: Yeah, I, I no, not really. I mean, I had all kinds of matches on the Indies, like, you know, Texas Death matches, Chain matches, Dollar Color matches, tape shares, Cage matches. So, you know, you did all that on the Indies, and you go back to, like, who my like all-time... Who, who You want to know who the greatest wrestler I ever worked with, though? I know that's a different subject, but I always like to bring it up. The greatest wrestler I've ever worked with was Dean Malenko.
0: Because? Because he was. <laughs> uh, well, I didn't know if there was, was a, another longer story. I, yes, oh, he was. Yeah, well, he had his dad. He, you know, I agree. Uh, literally the man of a thousand holds. I love how they played that up. But I, I, I won't disagree with you there. He, he is a, the technician technician.
1: I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I had matches with him that were not TV matches. Well, I had TV matches with him too, but they were longer, you know, near average TV match, you know, five, seven minutes, whatever. But, And I worked with Dean from the beginning because he would come to the school and train with us and the great Malinka would do shows throughout the years. So the students had uh, uh, would get experience in front of crowds. And he also had several television, short-lived television shows that he put together. And I always got to work with Dean. A lot on those and when you work with somebody for you know 20 minutes 30 minutes 45 minutes you know it a lot better how good they are than if you're just going in there for five minutes and they like again i work with some of the greatest of all time and that doesn't take anything away from them but i had matches with dean that were like actual matches i'll say right like in, in 1989 i was the mass superstar here in florida for a show called Suncoast Pro Wrestling that the Great Malenko put together with another guy named Henry Rains, and I was the top heel and Dean was the top babyface. We had all kinds of matches, you know, on the TV show and at the house, little house shows we would do. So again, you get a great idea. how good someone's and again, Dean, perfect timing, light as a feather, smooth as silk, unbelievable guy. He could drop kick you off the top rope, and the only, the only pain you would feel is the bump you took from the drop kick. That's how good he was.
0: Uh, I'm glad you brought up the Mass Superstar because you were the Mass Superstar 2 for a while. How did that come about?
1: Just like Jimmy Backlund. Malenko called me one day and he said, Bob, we want to start this TV show called Suncoast Wrestling. I want you to be the Mass Superstar. And I said, OK. <laughs> and I got a lot of flack for that over the years from different people. Oh, you stole Bill 80's giving. No. First of all, the great Malenko is the one who trained Bill 80 and was his manager back in the 70s as the Mass Superstar. But my mentor, my friend, my father figure, outside of my real father, oh, I'm adopted, so he shouldn't say real father. My real father must have abandoned me. Uh-oh. I don't know. I was, I was a kid. But the point is, Malinko called me, asked me to do it, and I would definitely say yes because I would do anything in my class. Right. And it was TV. We got paid huge money. Not really. No You know what I got paid for those shows? <laughs> they ran for about three years. I got paid $20 a show. And all the wrestling magazines I could get because the guy who owned the show, who had the money behind the show, the Henry Raines, owned the comic book store in the area where that we did the TV. And my idea was I I'd get 20 bucks for the show. And he also got in all the wrestling magazines every month. And back in those days, they had magazines like crazy. They had a million of them. Yeah. i right, just
0: go in and get every magazine every
1: month. That was my pay. <laughs>
0: It's a good – now people want those – do you still have those magazines? People want those. You can start – Well, I got over 2,000 old wrestling magazines I'm trying to get rid of. Selling those, yeah. Holy shit, you're going to have an eBay store shortly.
1: Well, I sell stuff on eBay all the time,
0: although, I'm, like, again, I'm pissed
1: off because two days in a row I've scheduled a package to be pack up, picked up and it's still
0: sitting here. See how I bring that right back around? Yeah, that wasn't right, even on the worked. podcast, but I bring
1: that right back around. Right. Where was I going with this? I forgot.
0: Uh hmm. Uh, working with Dean and the, essentially the question I got out of it of, um, how did you become the mass superstar?
1: Right. And, and the point about that was, is during that time though, I was still doing WCW. I was still doing independent shows you know, you're doing all that stuff. People think, well, just because you're doing TV, you're just, that's all you're doing. You're just this guy on TV. But us guys worked all the time in those days. We'd leave on a Sunday, do the TVs, get back on a Thursday and work Friday, Saturday again, you know, any, indie, indie show. And there were times when I was at WCW where I couldn't do the mass superstar thing, and they would just figure out a way I was somewhere else. You know, one morning uh, there used to be a show out of Orlando called IWF. I think It was ran by Eddie Mansfield in the early '90s. That's a name. Wow, I love Eddie. Eddie's a great guy. So if you were gonna say something bad, no,
0: no, he's I a no, 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 <laughs> no. I I'm that's just a name. A lot of people in wrestling just think, oh, but yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I've known Eddie for a long time. He again, he used, he used me on those shows as the Punisher, but I wore the same mask I wore as the Superstar, and just as a short, yet kind of fun story. In the fact that very few people might be able to claim this was at seven a.m. the IWF show ran, eight a.m. the Suncoast Pro Wrestling show ran it, ran it at nine a.m. Uh, WCW Pro ran, and one morning I was the Punisher on the AW or IWF. Superstar on Suncoast, Bob Cook on Pro, all the same Saturday morning, wearing the same outfit on each show, except in WCW I didn't have the mask on.
0: <laughs> no shit. So, so you you, you Rick Superstar Rude Pun- before you Rick before Rick Rude Rick
1: Rude. <laughs> yeah, I mean who knows? You know, and they were all taped different, you know, because it wasn't none of it was live. So. Right. But it's just one of those coincidences where you know three different shows, three different characters, if you will, wearing the same outfit. That's and on the Suncoast show, I won, and the other two I lost. So, hey, one out of two ain't bad.
0: Yeah, there's a song like that, isn't it? Two out of three ain't bad.
1: And probably for all those shows together, I made maybe 300 (laughs) bucks. Oh
0: man, see, when we. And I don't like talking money because i I don't it's not my business or anything, but when you guys like Barry talked a little money with us, Brian talked a little money with us about the figures that he got screwed over with, and now you're talking a little bit i I know you had you know, like the time of your life, you loved it. the wrestling's brutal like it and I know it was a different era too that you know milk wasn't twenty five dollars a gallon, but shit that still does that that didn't how did you feed your family? How would you feel to well, yourself?
1: My, my wife always had a good job, which allowed me to pretend to be a wrestler or convince myself that I was a wrestler. Okay. But, you know, we, I mean, I, obviously I survived. We did okay. Right. You're crazy so you as okay, hell right now. We were on the road so. all the time. Uh, we were on the road all the time. Again, it was, to me, it was just a blast. And and with WCW and WWF, even though I was only there for about a year, they... You know, they paid for all your trains, your, air, your airfare, hotels, and WCW wouldn't fly us, but they would pay for our rent-a-car, gas, whatever.
0: Uh, real quick, a couple more. Um, wh- where was, like, your favorite places to go that you knew that, hey, when I head to Town X, I can't wait because they have an awesome sub here? Was I mean, outside of wrestling, was there places that you liked to go because you liked being at that town for a little bit?
1: Uh, not especially, not for any reason other than the arenas. Like wrestling at the Mid South Coliseum was as cool as it gets. Uh, there was a place here in Florida that's no longer here called the Bayfront Center in St. Petersburg, which was to me it was our Madison Square Garden. It was like the Garden, kind of round, and looked kind of like the Garden, not as big though, like half the size, only held like eight or ten thousand. Those are my favorite places to wrestle in. Never really had particularly favorite town. I used to hit every Toys R Us. <laughs> On the way to shows, and then, and I used to know where every Toys R Us, Toys R Us was within a WCW radius of wherever we went. And anybody that traveled with me knew that if we're going with Bob, we're stopping at Toys R Us for figures for what? Yeah, figures. I, I was always a big uh, as a kid when I was in the seventies. You know, obviously they didn't have wrestling figures, but I used my Muhammad Ali figures and Ken Norton and Big Jim figures as wrestlers. And made a ring out of you know plywood and dollies and whatever, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so you have. So you when have they the came whole... out with wrestling, yeah, when they came out with wrestling figures, I was like, "Holy crap, these are cool!" You know. So I had to collect them, and I, I don't have as many as I used to, but. Uh-huh. I, one time I had all the AWA Remco's, all the LJNs, all the Hasbro's, and you know, in the late '90s when wrestling had that big boom period, in the early 2000s I sold a lot of that for good money not as much money as you'd make today if i'd have saved them but
0: yeah no shit i had i had all the remcos um my bought them at hills in new york because there's shit around here so we had to travel to new york to get them and they were they were my first wrestlers before the ljns or anything and they were they were amazing the ljns came and i'm like yeah i'll get rid of these the ljns are more realistic and I wish I would have saved them because holy hell, I look now and I'm like, I, there's retirement on some of these. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's crazy.
1: Like I thought I was doing good when I sold my King Harley race mint in a package for like 800 bucks 20 years ago. It'd be worth a lot more now, maybe. Yeah. I don't know, but I just always loved action figures and I don't collect them as much as I used to. I still like once in a while to get, if it's something like they got a new ultimate Hulk Hogan and Mr. Pete coming out based on WrestleMania one. They look fantastic. Guess who's got to have them? You, an overweight, has been, never was, been fifty-eight-year-old Bob. Brooks. That's who has to have them.
0: Yeah, I see. I that's where I do limit myself a little bit because if I start, like I like those little Funko Pop things. Like I, I, they're they're so ugly looking that they're they're cool. But if I get one, then I find an excuse to get another one, and then I then then I have to find an excuse to get another one, and then my wife throws me out of the house. Because then I will get them all And some of them are like CM Punk and AJ Lee's Are already in the thousands Jeez, I
1: used to be that way with my figures I still have lots of Figures mint in the package that I just have In boxes from the 90s And 2000s that I don't want anymore And the only I don't I'm not into the Funkos I do have three Funkos And they happen to be Are you listening The God on earth Evil Knievel Those are the only ones I have Of course nice well, I also have a fun call of Jerry Lawler and uh, the guy from the blacklist, Raymond Reddington, because someone gave them to me.
0: So, yeah. All right. Th- this is a big question. And you have a little youngster meeting you up somewhere and they want to know advice about wrestling business. What do you tell them? Do
1: the opposite of what Bob Cook did.
0: <laughs> you know, when
1: I was younger, like uh, Mark Murrow, I'm the one who gave Mark Murrow like to go train at the Great Malenko. He, we met him in a gym we used to train at, and he heard that we were wrestlers, and he wanted to know how to get in the business. So, you know, sent him to Great Malenko. And then I'm the one that got him in WCW. But I would never discourage anybody from doing. I might do it in a jokey way, like, yeah, I don't do, you know. Like I remember the guy I was talking about, Rick Ryder. You know, mm-hmm. first time I met Rick was at a person's house. I won't say his name because I don't want I don't talk to him anymore. But I met him at this guy's house, and he had one of those halos because he just had neck surgery, you know, those yep. that keep your head from moving. And he's like, get a chair, and he's like, yeah, I want to get in the wrestling business. And I'm like, what? <laughs> but uh, it's funny, and, and Rick had went to another show, and uh, I think it was Chick Donovan. You know who Chick Donovan is? No. I mean, he's a, a guy who's been around for years. did like a, not like a Rick Flair game, but he looked kind of like Ric Flair, great body, blonde hair, still wrestles, and he's in his 70s. But he's at the shows uh, in St. Pete and, and Rick's like asking about getting arrested and, <laughs> and Chick asks him, he goes, are you married? Yeah. Well, you won't be. He goes, you got back problems? No. Well, you will have. Uh, You got a job? Well, you'll lose it.
0: You no, know, this like telling him all this bad stuff. <laughs> but he's being real, though. He's being honest with them. Yeah, right? yeah, Yeah. of course, but now I wouldn't discourage
1: anybody. I just say put everything you got into it and you know, learn how to throw a punch just as important as knowing how to you do a headlock, in my opinion. Like, if you can practice a moonsault a hundred times and not hurt a guy and make it look good, then you can practice a punch a hundred times, not hurt a guy, and make it look good, if you care. But nobody cares anymore. It's not important.
0: I love that. You're right, because and that's, uh, they they will practice all their high spots, and I, I still am a mark. I, I will watch the 40 hours of wrestling that's on TV, usually on fast motion. I don't listen to the commentators much but i will watch it they'll practice their high spots but sometimes the headlock looks like they're throwing a freaking garbage bag out the out of the ring and it looks bad like the 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 basics they're lacking on
1: yeah it's the sometimes it's the simplest smallest things that make the biggest difference like if you're trying to create some illusion that i hate you and you hate me and they go out and have a fight and they're doing all this stuff, but the punches look like crap. Instantly you're taken out of the match because it's not believable. If you can get the people into the match and your punches look crisp and everything else goes along, it makes so much it's it's so much better. Yeah.
0: Uh are you working it with matter. are you working with CWF in Florida? Like behind, sort the of, scenes, you're I mean, just I, yeah, helping out. I know the
1: guy who runs yeah, I know the guy who runs it. And obviously the other people we've we'll known forever. Cuban Assassin, Ricky Sand to Hell, Jeffrey and other guys and I'd like to do more if I could with him and he's given me you know yeah you can do this to that but I don't know but I was at their show last Saturday it was a good show had a nice turnout yeah it's a slow build you know it's a really hard thing to try to get you're trying to appeal to an audience that's no longer there not because they don't want to be there because they're mostly dead (laughs) you know what (laughs) I mean mean, Florida Wrestling has
0: been dead 35 years so, who yeah. are you
1: appealing to? You know?
0: It's a different audience. It, it It's my son now that you're trying to grab. Essentially.
1: There's, there's a few old guys still around, but
0: they're not going to wrestling shows. No. All right, this is your time. Do say whatever you want. Um, You do have some merch on Pro Wrestling Tees, right?
1: Yeah, Pro Wrestling Tees. Uh, I think it's... You type in Bob Cook, you can find it or the Cooker's Corner or whatever. Bob Cook probably more likely. But I've sold a few shirts since I opened it, like a (laughs) 100. Really? Cool. So I say I'm nine hundred and (laughs) ninety nine thousand nine hundred eighty nine thousand dollars short of being a millionaire.
0: You're almost there. You're almost there.
1: But, uh, yeah, if people would go buy those, I'd appreciate it. Because Mountain Dew is not free, especially the new stuff with booze on it. Do you, yeah,
0: and I still can't wait. I, I can't wait till it gets to Pennsylvania. Do you have um, 8x10s or anything that you'd sell or anything if people hook, uh, find you on Facebook or anything?
1: No. No. Although I did have a guy recently pay me to sign a bunch of pictures and send them back to me. Okay. If anybody wants to do that, hey, print up some pictures, send them to me, and I'll sign them if you want to pay me. <laughs> yeah. You didn't pay me a lot, but, of course, oh. I have a horrible signature. That's the most embarrassing thing. Like, if I ever did get to get paid to be at a comic or a convention or whatever, I got a horrible
0: signature. Well, you have until November to figure out how to get a good signature.
1: Practice. Yeah. <laughs> and not only that, like, if they ask you to make it out to da-da-da and have it say best punch in the business, it'd just be a thing. It'd be a cluster.
0: Anything we, anything I didn't bring up that you want to talk about? Anything that you, I, I kept you along, and I, I want to let you go play and drink and be merry tonight. But yeah, anything you want to bring up? Uh, I don't know. I'm
1: trying to think. Did I leave anybody out? Do I hate anybody? I don't really hate anybody.
0: <laughs> Put over to Malenko. Also, Joe Malenko. I love Joe Malenko. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> and hey, any, anybody want to tell? Hey, you're on my hit list. I'm coming after you tomorrow.
1: No. no, I don't. I don't think so. My wife doesn't live near me anymore, so I don't
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I don't even know where she lives. That could be a plus too. That could really well, be a, a plus. plus. It is a plus. Yeah, <sighs> I hear you. My-
1: actually. I actually saw her. She, my kid wrestled for the first time in a long time
0: three months ago, like in November, uh, when it was, And
1: she showed up at the show. We didn't say a word to each other.
0: <laughs> is he? Is he doing a lot more shows now? Um uh, no. of course probably COVID had shit to do with it and everything, but he's not all in like you were.
1: No, no, he, he doesn't wrestle hard at all. That was the first time he wrestled in years and he did did it because it was ten miles from his house and you know had friends there and family. Yeah. So, you know, so everything's changed.
0: So the lineage of cooks are done. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Thankfully for the wrestling business. But he, you know, to me, wrestling's not the same. Obviously, no. In my day, I mean, most of us got along. I didn't see a lot of ego in the dressing room. Just had a good time. You were pr- appreciative of being there, and just couldn't wait to get to the next show. And I, the shows I go to now, I mean, there's so much stuff going on in the dressing room. Just this guy hates that guy, and, and, and. who needs that drama?
0: Yeah. All right, Bob, I'll let you go. Thank you for stopping by, Can Crushers. Uh, it was a blast having you on, talking about uh, some of my childhood and to hear some of these great stories. Um, I- I'd love to grab you again and actually deep dive into some of these crazier stories and uh, just talk again. This was fun for me.
1: Anytime. I got no life. And, but you better make it quick because you never know when those bombs are going to drop.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that was the Cooker Bob Cook. Man, that was a fun interview. Like I said, this interview was for me to go back into childhood and to hear some stories about the great Malenko and uh, the Barry Horowitz story to start off the podcast was, was great. Um, I, I just pictured Barry and Bob sitting in between two repo men uh, with a gun sitting on a dashboard, and, as, as you call it sitting in the middle of everybody sitting bitch and them just getting squirrely thinking, hmm, we better tell them we're wrestlers. That's crazy. But th- just to hear everything that he has gone through and you hear the love of wrestling that Bob has and still, still has for, uh, I want to say yesteryear wrestling, maybe not present day, but it's there. It, it really is there. and, Wow. Uh, Bob's going to come back on. Bob's going to come back on. We're going to hear some more maybe in-depth stories, a couple more road stories that, that we get to hear from. And I do like how we started off talking about Bob's hero, uh, Evil Knievel. So that means a lot that he opened up about knowing evil and just wanting to essentially be like evil and the things that he does and creating the video games and everything. That's cool to see this. This interview was really, really cool. Nostalgia for me to sit back and, and just listen to Bob talk about nwa slash wcw wwf you know just to hear these stories about the steiners and oh man i these are the ones i love i i really enjoyed this and maybe just maybe there's gonna be a cool ass pair of wrestling boots sitting in can crusher studio real soon i'm excited about this hopefully we can uh work some things out that I can get a pair of these uh, Terry Funk boots, George South boots, Bob Cook boots to have in the studio. You sure as shit know I'll be wearing them around the house and then uh, the family will be annoyed with me. But that's the way it rolls. All right, guys, another great interview. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and all that cool stuff on Everywhere that our podcasts are, iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and Spotify, you guys know where they are. Send us an email at cancrusher69 at gmail.com. See if there's somebody else that you'd like us to talk to. Um, Bob's going to come back. I'm telling you that right now. And just let's talk wrestling like this. Let's just have some great interviews. (sighs) Remember, just because you're trash doesn't mean you can't do great things. It's called a garbage can, not a garbage cannot.